Yes, hello and welcome to the Politics Mostly podcast with your host, Peter Ramirez. Today I want to talk about uh, President Trump ordering the assassination of Iranian official Qasem Soleimani, who was the leader of the Quds Force and by some estimates the second most powerful person in Iran. But first, I want to talk about some background about the situation. Presidents Bush and Obama, uh, as well as Israel, all had opportunities to kill Soleimani. For Bush, it was 2007. He and General McChrystal decided that killing Soleimani would do more harm than good. For Israel, it was 2006 when they had Soleimani's location in Lebanon. And you know how hawkish you have to be in the Middle East to do something that even Bush thought was too destabilizing. And two, I do want to bring attention to the New York Times report um, in the aftermath of the assassination. Trump, uh, quote, opted for the most extreme measure. Here's an excerpt from the piece, quote, in the chaotic days leading up to the death of Major General Qasem Soleimani, Iran's most powerful commander, top American officials put the option of killing him which they viewed as the most extreme response to recent Iranian-led violence in Iraq, on the menu they presented to President Trump. They didn't think he would take it. Pentagon officials have often have offered improbable options to presidents to make other possibilities appear more palatable. By late Thursday, the president had gone for the extreme option. Top Pentagon officials were stunned. End quote. Yes, President Trump was only offered the option of killing Soleimani to make other options seem better. And when Trump did pick killing Soleimani, it stunned Pentagon officials, which is exactly how our foreign policy should be working, right? So the the rationale for killing Soleimani seems to be something along the lines of this. He was a dangerous guy with American blood on his hands, and he controlled all these proxy forces in the region, right? What this doesn't address is the fact that these proxy forces, right, the Houthis in Yemen, Hezbollah in Lebanon, Hamas in Gaza, they still exist after Soleimani's death. You know how long it took Iran to name a successor to Soleimani? Three fucking hours. (laughs) (laughs) Trump didn't eliminate the threat from Iranian proxies or the Quds Force. He just motivated them to continue to attack us. And can we also for a second talk about how Trump threatened to bomb Iranian culture sites? The Trump administration struggles to put out a cohesive message about how the United States plans to respond to Iran's latest threat. The president is threatening to strike 52 sites in Iran, including cultural ones, which would violate international law. Senior administration officials either publicly contradicted Mr. Trump or said that he had not said what he said. The American people should know that every target that we strike will be a lawful target. And it will be a target designed at the singular mission of protecting and defending America. President Trump vowing he's prepared to strike back, though he's now backing down from threats to target Iran's cultural sites. We are, according to various laws, uh, supposed to uh, be very careful with their cultural heritage. And you know what? If that's what the law is, I I like to obey the law. I like to obey the law. Okay, that's a that's a first for you. (laughs) Now, this is a political discussion about Iran, so logic and rules don't apply. Whoever sounds toughest wins, right? To all my left-of-center friends, uh, 
who took the cheese on this one and immediately started talking about how <laughs> targeting culture sites is a war crime, you fell for the trap. You lost. Because all Fox News has to do is say, oh, Trump can't hit their mosques, but they can kill American soldiers. How is that fair? Right? So bad faith arguments aside, let's talk about why Trump threatening to bomb cultural sites is awful for American foreign policy. Ronald Reagan once said that there was no conflict between the Western democracies and the Arab world. Uh, well, technically, Iranians are Persian and not Arab, but you get the point. George Bush used to always say that too, right? We are not at war with Islam. That was like his opening and closing statement on any speech given like east of Cairo. Even more recently, presidents would say we aren't at war with the Iranian people or Iranian culture or Islam, but rather we disagree with your leaders, right? But when the president of the United States tweets that we're going to be targeting cultural centers, decimating landmarks and museums, what he's saying is, yes, we are at war with your culture. We are trying to eliminate your way of life, and we are trying to fundamentally change you. Okay, let's talk process really quick. Not necessarily anything about the strike itself, but just how it was carried out um, and you know, like the manner in which it was carried out. Uh, let's first talk about the Trump administration's ever-changing rationale for the assassination of Soleimani. The Trump administration is scrambling to explain the two words that led to all of this, imminent threat. Was the justification this imminent threat? Chuck, it's, it's never one thing. You, you've been at this a long time. The American mm -hmm. people are smart, too. It's never one moment. It's never one instance. It's a collective. It's a, it's a full situational awareness of risk. If you're looking for imminence, you needn't look no further than the days that led up to the strike that was taken against Soleimani. When you say the attacks were imminent, how imminent were they? Were we talking about days? Were we talking about weeks? If you're an American in the region, days and weeks, this is not something that's relevant. Okay, first of all, time is constant anywhere, no matter where you are. So days and weeks do actually matter. Anyway, after the drone attack, the DOD issued a statement that Soleimani was, quote, actively developing plans to attack American diplomats and service members, end quote. Okay, so the first justification was that there was a very real and very immediate threat that Soleimani posed. But then things changed. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo went on the Sunday shows, some of which I just played, and talked less of an immediate imminent threat and more about some vague future attack. Then, the same Mike Pompeo switched from the future to the past, saying, quote, we know what happened at the end of last year and ultimately led to the death of an American. Look no further than the days that led up to the strike, end quote. Now it seems like it was revenge for something in the past. And if that wasn't enough, Trump goes on Rush Limbaugh and says, quote, he should have been out a long time ago, ago, end quote, seeming to suggest that as soon as U.S. intelligence services were able to locate Soleimani, he was a dead man. So for those keeping track at home, first, the drone strike happened because there was an immediate and concrete plan to attack Americans abroad. Then it wasn't about an immediate threat more of a general threat he posed in the future. Then it was retaliation for an American contractor getting killed overseas. Then it was, um, it was a long time coming. Four different justifications 
all of them at odds with each other, and the last three uh, not seeming remotely legal. But remember my disclaimer, this is a discussion about Iran, so the rules don't matter. Uh, the second process complaint I have about this is that President Trump didn't brief the Gang of Eight in Congress. Now, normally I don't really care about this stuff, if we're being totally honest. Um, the Gang of Eight is a informal name for the leadership in Congress. Um, look, these situations move quickly, and I'm sure there was some concern about leaks. But then I cared about this, and here's why. This is according to the Daily Beast. Quote, in the five days prior to launching a strike that killed Iran's most important military leader, Donald Trump roamed the halls of Mar-a-Lago, his private resort in Florida, and started dropping hints to close associates and clubgoers that something huge was coming. According to three people who've been at the President's Palm Beach Club over the past several days, Trump began telling friends and allies hanging out at his perennial vacation getaway that he was working on a big response to the Iranian regime that they would be hearing or reading about very soon, end quote. So now I care because while I normally wouldn't care that much that the president didn't inform people in Congress before doing this, you know, you can't say, oh, I didn't tell Congress because uh, I'm worried about leaks or the situation moved so quickly. When you're, when you're talking about important foreign policy decisions that haven't happened yet to your wealthy club goers at your resort. One, one last process point. Um, let's talk about a letter, a very specific letter. Adding to the confusion Monday, the Pentagon circulated a letter announcing a withdrawal of U.S. forces from Iraq. But the Pentagon later said there is no decision to leave Iraq, and it was just a draft. That was a mistake, an honest mistake. Yes, the Pentagon released a letter saying that we would be leaving Iraq. Then we said, psych, five-second rule, and immediately took it back. You know, so many of Trump's critics point to the malevolence of this administration, right? Kids in cages, the destruction of the environment, trying to kick millions of people off health care, or the corruption of this administration, right? The Saudis staying at Trump hotels, the lobbyists or billionaires that run every agency. And while those two things are true, the malevolence and the corruption, there is a third trait present in this administration, and that's incompetence. Remember when it took three drafts to get the Muslim travel ban legal? <laughs> or that one day, like two months ago, where Trump personally or his administration was ruled against five times in court? So is anyone surprised that the Pentagon is releasing letters they shouldn't be releasing and confusing everyone? Okay, let's talk about four or five results from the strike. The first one being, of course, that Iran retaliated by launching 22 ballistic missiles at two U.S. military bases in Iraq. Trump tweets all as well. President Trump defended himself on Monday, saying the United States is a lot safer now. We'll see what happens. We'll see what the response is, if any. But you've seen what I said our response will be. We're assassinating Iranian officials. Iran is launching missiles at U.S. soldiers. The drumbeat for war is gaining strength. Do you feel safer? Do you feel that all is well? Imagine a Democrat, by the way, tweeting that all is well 
when our military bases are getting shelled by Iran or killing, assassinating a general and then saying, we'll see, we'll see what happens. <laughs> How would that go over at Fox News? The second result, the Iraqi assembly unanimously voted to expel U.S. troops after the killing of Soleimani. Yes, that Iraqi assembly, the one we spent over a decade building and billions of dollars supporting, that Iraqi assembly said, go home, America, which really isn't a good look for us, right? Because Trump lied and we obviously aren't leaving Iraq. Why would we leave Iraq when Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, all these guys still have all these no-bid contracts to fulfill? And by the way, uh, so all the Iran hawks out there, there are plenty of you. You do realize by losing the Iraqi people that we're pushing Iraq closer to Iran, right? There are four Shia majority countries in the world. And if you don't count Bahrain because they're a small island ruled by a Sunni, <laughs> or Azerbaijan because they're Azerbaijan and therefore irrelevant, it's really two, Iraq and Iran. That's it in terms of Shia countries. And we're pushing an ally closer to Iran because we're out here assassinating officials on Iraqi soil. Third result, Iran announced that they would be leaving the nuclear agreement, the same agreement that the U.S. left two years ago and that the Europeans were trying to keep. Do you remember the biggest critique of the Iran nuclear deal? That some provisions expired at the end of 10 or 15 years, right? The so-called sunset clauses. So what's the right-wing answer? Let's assassinate their general and make them leave after five years. <laughs> it's so on brand for Trump to hate that some parts of the deal were 10 years, and so he acts without thinking, and now it's five years. It's called art of the deal, libtards. Uh, here's another result, number four. And it really hasn't been covered by the media at all. Iran's economy is shrinking. The youth unemployment in Iran is, uh, in Iran is almost 30%. And there were massive protests against the Iranian government by civilians literally a month ago. The Iranian regime was on the edge. And we gave them a scapegoat they needed to galvanize and unite their people. It's called a rally around the flag. This is poli-sci 101. When there's an international crisis, the governing body gains a sharp domestic boost. Their civilians stopped protesting against fuel hikes and service cuts, and now they're protesting American foreign policy. Iran was weak and bleeding, and instead of squeezing them, we gave them a reason to unite against an outsider. And finally, the, the fifth result, and this is like a distant five, uh, this really isn't that important, but I did read that the U.S. denied the Iranian foreign minister, this guy Zarif, a visa to come to the U.N. Um, to speak to the general counsel. And this not only makes us look weak and pathetic, it also violates the 1947 U.N. headquarters agreement, you know, where we say that we're not going to politicize the fact that we host the UN, right? That we have this privilege of hosting the UN. Now we're just denying visas to come to the UN because we don't like your country. So in 10 years or 20 years, 30 years, when the UN is located in London or Tokyo, we can thank whichever asshat in the Trump administration thought that politicizing the fact that we have the privilege of hosting the UN was a good idea. And the worst part is, 
Some Heritage Foundation stooge is patting himself on the back right now in some unmarked conference room in D.C. thinking, yeah, yeah, we showed them. We got Zarif. We showed them. Pathetic. Can we take a step back and talk about two more things I noticed? I want to move away from the U.S.-Iran conflict specifically and take a look at things about 30,000 feet up. This may come as a surprise to some of the listeners, but I do watch Fox News sometimes. I was flipping through the channels the other day, and I watched this segment on Fox. The guests were Carl Rove, Ari Fleischer, and I forgot the third guy, maybe Donald Rumsfeld. Don't hold me to it. And it just pains me. It literally pains me that the same circus seals who got Iraq and Afghanistan so fucking wrong, now have a mic and an audience to spew fake knowledge about Iran. The same people who lied about WMDs in Iraq, or who said we would be out of Afghanistan in six months, or who thought Iraq would cost us less than a billion dollars. How do these people still have credibility? Why are they on my TV? And why haven't they been discarded to the ash heap of foreign policy history? Seriously. I would go as far as to say... When any of these hawks talk about the Middle East, if you do the opposite of what they say, you would be right 90% of the time. I'm being serious. Would you listen to Barry Bonds or Mark McGuire talk about ethics of sportsmanship? Of course not. So someone tell me, why the fuck is Carl Rove telling me we need to bomb Iran more? Lastly, uh, beware of the false choices out there. If you pay attention to certain media outlets, the situation or any situation in the Middle East, frankly, is often boiled down to two choices, X or Y, right? X or Y. You support America's decision or you side with Iran. Your team Trump or your team Soleimani. You agree with every decision the military takes or you're a terrorist sympathizer. Just be careful and think for yourself. Remember how costly in blood and treasure our adventures in Iraq and Afghanistan war. And think, do we want this with Iran? So that's the show today. The background info was President, uh, the background info was President Obama and Bush, as well as Israel, having the chance to kill Soleimani, but deciding against it. And the only reason this option to kill Soleimani was even on the table was to make other options seem better. Killing Soleimani doesn't end the threat of Iranian proxies. It only strengthens them, and bombing cultural sites is actually against our own self-interest. The justification for killing Soleimani changed four times in a few days. Trump didn't notify Congress, but did notify his wealthy Mar-a-Lago goers. And the Pentagon is releasing letters saying we're leaving, but we're not. Iran launched missiles at our troops. We're slowly losing our Iraqi allies to our Iranian adversaries. We were voted out of Iraq by the parliament. Iran leaves the nuclear deal and start enriching uranium again. We helped the Iranian regime unify their own reeling country. And we're blocking access to the UN to people from countries we don't like. Until next time, friends.